1: Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
0: Family Secrets is a production of iHeartRadio.
2: I'm Danny Shapiro, and this is the first bonus episode of Family Secrets. I want to thank all of you who have listened during season one. I've been blown away by the amazing response to the stories of my guests. These people have shared complex, beautiful, haunting stories about their family secrets and the resilience and freedom found in bringing these secrets to light. In 12 step programs, it's often said that we're only as sick as our secrets. Carl Jung refers to secrets as psychic poison. And so sharing these secrets is really powerful medicine. We discover again and again that we are not alone. The following is an abridged version of my conversation with Jennifer Mendelssohn, a journalist steeped in genealogy, and the person my husband Michael and I turned to when we were uncovering the truth of my paternity. Jennifer and I sat down together at Politics and Prose, an independent bookstore in Washington, D.C. Jennifer has been a guiding light for so many who have uncovered secrets from their DNA. I was so fortunate while in the midst of my own DNA mystery, to have Jennifer in my corner. And stay tuned each Thursday for more bonus episodes. We have a lot of great content in store for you as we get ready for the launch of Season 2 in August.
3: I'm almost afraid that people are going to read the book and think that it always happens this quickly. I mean, we identified Danny's biological father in an hour. And I mean, I have had cases that I have worked on for literally months and months. I know people, adoptees, who have searched for years. And I feel like I should explain very generally the way... Uh, So when you have an unknown parent, whether that's through adoption or sperm donation or when someone is seeking an unknown parent or a grandparent or any other ancestor who is unidentified that you want to identify, the way that you identify that person is you basically reverse engineer your family tree based on the trees of your matches. And hopefully that makes sense, meaning the ideal thing is you get a half-sibling a half, a half sibling match. So you say, okay, we're half-siblings, that means one of your parents is my parents, it's just a question of which one. If you get a first-cousin match, first cousins share a set of grandparents. One set of our grandparents is the same. Some adoptees test, most adoptees test, and they often have nothing but a third cousin, What that means is somebody like me comes in and builds out that matches tree all the way back to the great, great grandparents that those two share and then builds it all the way down and looks for a person in the spot in the family tree who fits the profile of the missing relative. In Danny's case, she had a, a first cousin match, which is great and a great place to start. So there's very few unknowns in that person's tree. We just needed to find that person's tree. Those of us who do this, sort of, I think Danny and Michael looked at it and only saw the initials and the name of the person, and they were like, well, where do we go from here? I know exactly where to go from there. So.
2: Well, the name of the person, I mean, there was a, there was another just tiny little kind of step there, which is the name of the person. It was two names that both sounded like they could be first names. And when I woke up that morning that we called you, mm-hmm. Michael had been looking for that person as the name was listed, and was coming up with just complete dead ends. Um, and then he woke up in the morning. The, when I woke up, the first thing he said to me is, it's not first name, last name. It's last name, first name. And that was when we called you. And then you knew how to unlock the, the get to the family tree right. of that person, who was in fact the wife of my biological first cousin who was administering the, um, his site.
3: So I was able to figure out who this person was. And in the wondrous age of Google and the Internet, um, I then very easily found his Facebook profile, which gave the name of the place where he lived. I then I I wish I could say it was like this arduous law. This is exactly what I did. I Googled his name and that town and up popped his mother's obituary. And here is exactly what happened. And now, knowing the preface to this conversation, I'm reading the obituary. Remember, they're first cousins. That would suggest that one of his, his uncles is Danny's biological father. And I'm reading the obituary. It says he has survived. She has survived by her children and blah, blah, blah. And her brother, Dr. So-and-so of a West Coast town. And we thought, huh.
1: <laughs>
3: we then Googled... Dr. so and so of a west I get chills just thinking about it because the face that popped up was Danny's face and it was I've told the story so many times and well, there's,
2: and he and he graduated from the University oh, of Pennsylvania Oh sorry we medical forgot school. that part
3: and it you know his his bio was on there and it said he went to medical school at the University of Pennsylvania and there was just this stunned silence. Among, and it was so odd because we're all on speakerphone. You know, I'm sitting in my little kitchen office. They're talking to me on speakerphone from a hotel room. And we're staring at what is clearly the face of Danny's body. I mean, once you see it, there's just, it wasn't like, huh, well, maybe it's like, it's unmistakable. And it was, and then, yeah, I, I, you know what I remember was really odd? Hanging up. It was like, okay, you guys, well, you guys, Bye! Like, what do you... I mean, it was like, it was one of the most, you know... The other thing I realized is I've thought back about it. I've, I have I, now do this a lot. I help a lot of adoptees, um, you know, find their parents. And I guess... I'm never there with them. Like I just solved one for this 70 year old woman who's wanted to know who her father was her whole entire life. And it it was roadblock after roadblock after roadblock. And I was about to tell her that I didn't think I could do it because it was just. And then one night I just like at two o'clock in the morning, I found him, but she wasn't there on the phone, you know, so then I got to call her the next morning and say, like, I have, you know, really big news. But I mean that we were sort of there together while it happened, it was, it was intense. It was charged. It was extraordinary. I mean, we all were just like, what just happened? Like it was, it was crazy, you know? And then I just remember like, okay, bye. Like,
2: (laughs) I actually remember too that, and I, and I write about this in the book. Um, there was, I, uh, I think you might even have said to me something like, so what are you going to do now? (laughs) You know? And, and meanwhile, I mean, Jennifer's saying that it was absolutely apparent and obvious that this was my biological father. And I understand that, but it wasn't as obvious to me because it was such a surreal moment. So what I was looking at, um, he, is, he is a retired physician and has a specialty, and this falls into the you-can't-make-this-up department, of medical ethics. <laughs> um, and he lectures on medical ethics. And so the very first time that I laid eyes on him was a YouTube video in which he was giving a lecture and i give a lot of lectures and what i noticed i mean if i can even call it noticing what like sort of entered me what i sensed was oh he uses his hands the same way i do and he was doing a q and a and he kind of was i actually said to my husband he runs a q and a the same way i do but it wasn't like i was registering that i mean that I looked like him or that this was real or some, some, it it was, it both, it both answered every question I've ever had and then asked like 10,000 others. So it wasn't there. And, but I remember Jennifer saying to me, so what are you going to do now? And I think, I don't know whether I said this to you in the moment, but I was like, well, I'm going to write him, you know? (laughs) and, 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 and Jennifer suggested that, you know, I might want to slow down (laughs) and said there are templates for this sort of thing. You know, you may want to, you know, take a pause. And I, I didn't. Um, But you know, I've, I've encountered, I mean, I, you probably encounter as well, but I've been, and even before the book came out, when people knew what I was writing about and knew the story, um, a lot of people who are in this position who either want to reach out um, in a way, I mean, I recently heard a story where Five half siblings found each other. They all figured out who their bi- biological father were, and they all wrote him a note together and sent it to him on Father's Day. You know, it's like that. That wasn't going to go well. Um, it's so. I mean, if you think about, there's there's a refrain in inheritance, several times throughout the book, in which I ask, "How old is too old for a surprise?" Um, I was very aware, even though I was in a state of complete shock. I was aware that there was a 78-year-old retired doctor who was going to open his inbox and be stunned and um, that it wasn't going to be necessarily welcome and that it was going to be either something he would always worried would happen or something that he never considered would happen, but either way. And because I'm a writer, I just figured, like, I know how to craft an email. I'm not going to read a template. Um <laughs> And I was just trying to be helpful. No, you were, no, totally, totally. And it was like, I'm sure it was, it was, it was good advice. And it was advice I would give people because really there's a kind of almost a, 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 like a flailing that can happen of just like, I've got to do something. And, but I also had the capacity to write something that was careful, even though I wasn't feeling careful. I knew how to, I knew how to write something that would put myself in his shoes. And, And, and I didn't say much. All I really said was, I think, you know, here's who I am. I am writing because I recently did a DNA test and um, I always thought my parents were both my biological parents and it seems uh, possible that you may be my biological father and if this makes sense to you, I hope you'll write me back. Pretty much that. Like, didn't say much beyond that. But uh, in the book also there's there's a moment where I, I I think about the way that we're in each other's lives. Like I will... I will always feel incredibly connected to you because you were present on that speakerphone, and in, you know, in that moment, at the most um, sort of stunning um, and life-shifting moment of my life. And and then, really, I mean, in the book, it went from thir- the, from the thirty-six hours in which I found I found out that my father wasn't by my biological father until I was looking at the face of my biological father. But ultimately, for me. That was the beginning of the mystery, and not remotely the end of it. Um, the the two The two strands of the story, uh, and and ongoing, even though I've, I've the book is finished, but ongoing for me, I think probably forever. Are I mean, one is the discovery of this relationship with this man who is my biological father, um, and what do I? Who are we to each other? But the The other strand of it was, what did my parents know, you know, and what were they told, and what was the history of reproductive medicine in this country, and how much can I find out about it, and there was a tremendous sense of urgency for me, because I was very aware that anyone who might still, might have some kind of clue, might know something, um, been around, known the world-famous doctor, known the institute known my parents uh, maybe my mother told her 93-year-old best friend maybe my father had con- confessed or gone to speak with you know the elderly rabbi to ask his uh, advice about what to do i just i i began my my husband and i had this refrain where i i don't like picking up the phone and calling people especially people who aren't going to want to hear from me i could never really have been an investigative journalist but i i would hesitate picking up the phone to call someone, and my husband would say, he may be dead by Friday. <laughs> and I would pick up the phone because my desire to know was greater than my fear of being hung up on or whatever. It, was, it became, you know, just like a pure, you know, just like the urgency and obsession.
3: My version of that is uh, in 2013, I had an extraordinary experience of, we discovered that my husband's 95-year-old Holocaust survivor grandmother actually had three living first cousins um, that nobody had known about and when I was on the hunt I mean she was 95 and it was like every time there was a document that I needed to order that might shed light on this I would be like how soon can you get it to me (laughs) like can we rush it please I just migrate every night I would go to bed and be like please don't die before we find them like please and she didn't we reunited them but it's funny because I think when you when you said you feel a connection to me and I feel a connection to you, of course, I mean we'd known each other sort of, through social media for years. But um, these experiences are like that. I I always adored her and had a great relationship with her. But after that, I felt bonded and connected to her. And, you know, we'd shared. I brought her something that was so special. And, you know, I've, I felt it just, you know, and I, all these people that I've helped, some of them are total strangers. I volunteer sometimes. And, you know, you just feel like you've played a special little angel role in their lives, giving them something that, you know, there's something... There's something about it. Um, Nothing could substitute for the actual cousins, meaning there's, you know what I mean? Like, unless it was them, there was nothing that could fill that spot. And when we found them, it was extraordinary. And when we found your father, you know, there's no, until it was him, it was not, you know, and then he's there. And it's like, wow. And it's your flesh and blood. And it's powerful.
2: We're going to pause for a moment. So I'm wondering if we should, should we open it up to questions? Yeah, I do, I've just, I've been noticing just in the, in the week since the, the book is out or not quite week that, um, there's a lot of conversation that seems to want to be had around, um, around all the layers and complexities of all this. Who's going to be first?
1: I don't know. This is, I don't know if this is a quick question, but it's just there, you know, 23andMe and Ancestry. How... Accurate are they? I mean, are they scientifically valid?
3: The short answer, which I suppose is the one that the situation demands. um, The ethnicity estimates are, you have to understand, I always tell people, they don't measure something like the pH of a liquid or, you know, it's not a, a scientific thing that is determined and you get it and it's that. They're based on reference populations, meaning they tell you you're Irish based on comparing your DNA to people who self-report as Irish. Um, That's why every company comes out a little bit different if you take them. There's usually small differences between, you know, even if the same person tests. I heard one uh, person say, a, a genetic genealogist, you know, trust the continent. At the continent level, they should be good. So, you know, if you are Eastern European Jewish, you are not going to take the test and be told you're Southeast Asian. That just doesn't happen. But if you're, you know, I think people have unreasonable expectations that they're like, you know, my sister was 0.3 percent more German than I was. We must not be related. But, you know, so take it with a grain of salt. It will identify for you the broad patterns of your ancestry. The part that is irrefutable, though, is the the people with whom you share DNA. Um, I cannot tell you... How many people I know who have gotten a surprising result who then insist on taking a second test and it always comes out the same way? Um, You know, if a test tells you that someone is your father, they are your father. That's that's not mistaken. And if a test tells you that you share an extraordinary amount of DNA with someone, you share an extraordinary amount of DNA with that. That is almost never. uh, I mean, it's virtually impossible for that to
2: be wrong. This. Discovery for me kind of came in stages. And when I first saw the 52% Eastern European Ashkenazi, which made no sense, I just thought, well, maybe that's the way it is as I read in my reading. Or um, I then thought, well, maybe they just got it wrong. This is, yeah, this doesn't really make sense. When the first cousin appeared, I continued to be in a kind of I guess denial, uh, where I just thought, well, now they definitely just got it wrong because I know all my first cousins. I mean, it, it, it's so completely. When you have a discovery like this, they they call it an NPE, not parent expected discovery. And fourteen percent of people on Ancestry.com—that's the just, of the seven million people who uh, who 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 did this testing on just that one, uh, just with that one company last year. Fourteen percent of them came up with a non-parent expected. That's a lot of people. But actually, after my half-sister came very clearly, according to these, um, you know, the, the, the signs and numbers and, you know, greater than and lesser than and most recent common ancestor, once all that came back um, and it was sort of irrefutable, I made my husband go call Ancestry.com in Utah, you know, wherever, they, and they would some, some, there were, I guess they, they must, get a lot of those calls. They get a lot of those calls, and they, they must have somebody manning the phone 24 hours a day. I mean, there, there was like a manager who was on duty and, um, and, and said, no, we, that, that kind of mistake has never been made in, in the history of Ancestry.com, which is what was, because can you imagine if they made those kinds of mistakes? These companies would not be, you know, all, all, all would, that would have to happen is that happening once and someone having a nervous breakdown. It doesn't happen.
3: On the the message boards that I read on Facebook, people always say, DNA doesn't lie, people do.
1: (laughs) So based on this experience that you've had and all the thought that you've given to it, I'm curious in your opinion about something. Do you ever think there's a justification to keep a family secret?
2: That is a big question, mister. (laughs) And there's no simple answer. Another thing that I've become aware of is even though I find it painful and very complex that my parents kept the, the truth of my paternity um you know, from me and that I, I grew i grew up every day of my life being told i didn't look jewish every day um and i when i was 3 years old i was literally the kodak christmas poster child wishing the entire world a merry christmas um that was that was complicated and and i was always told you're other in some way And, you know, what I said before about being sort of formed by what you don't know, that was hard. However, if I, if my parents had, had some kind of moment where they thought we should, we should tell her and sat me down when I was 12 or 16 or 20 even, and told me this. At that time, A, there was no community. I wouldn't have known a soul who was donor-conceived, or I very well might have known a soul who was donor-conceived, but they wouldn't have known it either, because everyone it was so secret. So I would have been even more of a unicorn than I already felt like I was. My relationship with my father was much closer than my relationship with my mother, and and the idea that I would I wouldn't have been able to even know where to begin searching for the anonymous sperm donor that was my biological father and that, you know, DNA testing wasn't yet a thing. I don't know that I would have survived that. So I think with family secrets, it's more about when you find them out than that you find them out. I think secrets are really toxic and, and, Just because it isn't said doesn't mean it doesn't exist. I think there's a way in which it permeates and leaks into the air around it and it's noxious. Um, I don't think my parents, I I don't think there could have been a good solution in that case. A secret was kept from me. It probably was the right thing given my generation for it to be kept from me. I found it out when I was 54 years old and in a really solid place in my life.
3: I told Danny earlier that I just heard a story this weekend about a, a family friend of a friend who was a, a physician. And one day he sat his kids down and said, Just want y'all to know you probably shouldn't date anybody in Michigan. <laughs> he said, I had to get through medical
2: school. I did a lot of donating. Stay away from Michigan. <laughs> of course, because none of them would have moved from Michigan. Like, of it's all just. All right, so this is going to be the last question. So related to that point, um, have you identified or tried to identify any genetic half-siblings, and how do you view that relationship? Is it like someone who came from the same country as you sort of conceptualized that
3: father thing, or what, is that, what does that look like to you? Yeah, so, so the question
2: is whether I've I've been able to identify any half-siblings, and the answer actually in my case, and, and this is just really interesting to me, is no, um, which is rare. I mean, no in the sense, I, I have not had half-siblings materialize on... 23andMe or Ancestry.com, that doesn't mean they won't, but I think it does mean there won't be many. Um, I do have half siblings that are my biological father's kids. And I do have a relationship in particular with his oldest child, who is a daughter, um, who's close in age to me, I mean, six years younger, and with whom I have a lot in common, and who was very open and curious and interested in having a relationship with me because she grew up with two brothers and she really wanted to have a sister. So, um, but we also have a lot in common. Now, do we have a lot in common because we, we share a biological father or do we just have a lot in co- I mean, it, there's, I mean, I, I always feel like it's so, it's so complex and so not black and white to say, look, I, I grew up really feeling like my mother might not be my mother. You know, I, she is, um, but but I didn't feel a bond with her, and she is biologically my mother. I grew up with a father who I felt an enormous bond with, who it turns out was not my biological father. So it's it's not you know we don't we all have siblings that we like or we don't like or we feel close to or we don't or we think like how did you end up in the same family as me? So it's not there's nothing my simple. My brother's here tonight. <laughs> <laughs> nothing simple about that, but I would imagine, and I and and. I think it's probably different for people who discover many, many half-siblings. You know, in the donor-conceived the donor community, they're often called diblings, like donors, siblings. I, I mean, I, I encountered a guy fairly recently who's discovered something like, um, like 75 of them. Oh and, and I think at a certain point, it probably becomes very difficult to feel like, you know, you're the country I'm from, or, you know, where I, it's, it's getting very crowded in that country. <laughs> Family Secrets is an iHeartMedia production. Dylan Fagan is the supervising producer, and Julie Douglas is the executive producer. If you have a family secret you'd like to share, you can get in touch with us at listenermail at familysecretspodcast.com. And you can also find us on Instagram at Danny Writer, and Facebook at Family Secrets Pod and Twitter at Fam Secrets Pod. That's Fam Secrets Pod. For more about my book, Inheritance, visit dannyshapiro.com.